Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. One cloud has cleared. Mason Greenwood will not play for Manchester United again. Several more remain. A warm welcome to the Manchester United Video Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson. Jack Tate is with me as always. And on today's show, we discuss defeating North London, Mason Greenwood, and preview Saturday's match against Nottingham Forest. We play Guess the Player. We'll give you your regular academy briefing. And we answer questions like, has everyone overreacted after two games of the season? How do United move on from here? And have referees set a dangerous precedent in the Premier League? In our Q&A exclusive to our patrons we talk about who would win a Premier League five-a-side tournament what kind of work we're both up to at the moment and the three steps to make United competitive so let's get stuck in Jack a lot of the uh, discourse after United's defeat at Spurs and it was a very bad second half performance and I left the Tottenham Spurs Stadium on Saturday evening uh, thoroughly underwhelmed but a lot of the discourse certainly online and I realise I'm probably responding to a Twitter only phenomenon here which is always silly but the questions were such as, when are people going to start questioning Ten Hag's future? It all felt a little bit insane. Um, was there an overreaction? This will be my first question to you. Yes, but I think it was understandable. What, because the world's gone mad? That, 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 the Ten Hag should go one is not, that is not understandable. I think a general overreaction to how bad the performance is, is understandable because football is emotional and it brings out emotions in people. Yeah, but, and the other, to be fair, the other, the other reason I understand it is because it had been a testing week for all United fans. So I feel like a lot of the disappointment and kind of dismay at Saturday's performance was not just at how United had played, even though most of it was, but also because there was a general feeling of disconnect with the club for, for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. It, it was poor, but football teams lose games even the successful ones and football teams start seasons slowly even the successful ones and most importantly new systems take time to to settle and work out properly even the successful ones now let's start because in fact let's let's begin with the first half because I, I thought it was decent again and now that's what's going on at halftime because that's now two decent first halves one at home to Wolves one away at Tottenham let down by an inability to finish now that's obviously a concern but it's also an kind of an obvious thing to improve on contrastingly our two second halves have been really really poor we've lost shape and composure we've dropped our standards and we've we've not achieved any of our aims we've lost all of our identity do you have any idea what's going on at halftime it's pretty baffling, honestly. I mean, against Wolves, we still weren't great in the first half. And so the second half felt 
just like a, a worse version of some of the trends we were already seeing in the first half. But against Spurs, it, it, it was like watching two completely different games, the way that they played out in the first versus the second half. First half at Spurs, I actually thought we were quite good. You know, it was a, a massive difference from Monday night against Wolves. The midfield in particular was so much better, so much more connected. Mason Mount was playing noticeably deeper, which was helping us a lot. And then, yeah, second half, yeah, it just seems like this United team, and it is especially difficult in away games. I think it's a big reason why our away form has been so bad under Ten Hag so far. This United team just seems unable to regain control of any, of a game once it's lost. If we have it from the start, we're okay. But once we lose it and the other team starts to gather some amount of momentum in the game, especially away from home, where obviously that is, gets harder to overcome... Whether it is a mentality thing, a technical thing, a tactical thing, which we can come on to a bit more in a second in, in more detail, I guess. But whatever is causing it, this team seems completely unable to regain any of that control once it was lost. And it got lost almost immediately at the start of the second half against Spurs. Yeah. Should we set out some of the positives first? Because the sun's shining for once in this poor English summer and I'm in a good mood. I think the positives are we are creating chances. And as I said after the Wolves game, it's much, I think it's more useful to take the first halves as a indicator of how United are going to play this season. I think it's less useful to take the second halves in terms of how United will play, not, not how successful they'll be. The second halves are probably a better indicator about this team's mentality and the, and the concerns there. But first half wise, we are creating big chances. Um, we are also missing them more often than any other team in the league. And that's not just a, a, a reaction that is statistically true. Five big chances missed already this season. Uh, the same as Brentford and Chelsea. It's a, a major problem. We're doing better off the ball. We're gaining possession quite high up in, in dangerous areas. There's been some signs of good off the ball work. So those are, those are reasons to be positive. I also think... We saw some good signs in preseason. I trust in Ten Hag and it's a new system. So I'm, I'm less, I'm less ready to criticize it this early on. Uh, it's not, it, it's not working at the moment, but it's the start of a new season. It's a new system. It's got a new player in it. As you just said with Mason Mount, we're still missing the center forward. So for now, I'm, I'm willing to wait. Um, the concerns I have are that we need to find the personnel who will drag us through this early period of a new way of playing. And at the moment, Ten Hag, in my opinion, is is not managing that as best as he could because the midfield is underperforming. Yes, the defence is underperforming, but the front three is is not helping them at all. Garnacho and Antti are, are not the personnel as they are playing right now to take us through this early period. And Rashford is being played in the wrong position. But do you accept the positives before we get onto the negatives? Yeah, of course. Like I, said, I think the first half, in particular against Spurs, there's a lot of positives to take from that. I, I really did think that we saw a really big improvement from what we saw against Wolves, even though the first half against Wolves also wasn't as bad as the second. I thought that the first 45 at Tottenham was still a, a massive step up from the first 45 at Old Trafford on Monday night. And look, I mean, how many times in that first half did we put Garnacho in particular in situations where he's isolated 1v1 against Pedro Porro on the right on the right hand side and every time the the ball if it was, was it a doggy actually on the right hand side whoever it was the 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 right back how many times have we put him in great positions one on one there and in most games if you give Garnacho five or six opportunities to be in that position which he had in that first half 
you'd expect that he would create some, even if he's not scoring himself, some really good chances yeah. from those. And it, you know, there isn't that much you can do to legislate for the fact that Garnacho, for whatever reason, was having an off day. He's had a couple of off days to start the year and wasn't his usual self in terms of beating his man. So I don't think there's so much you can really say from that. I mean, Spurs also were in the game. You know, they obviously hit the hit the woodwork a couple of times, had some decent chances that Onana managed to save. So it wasn't as if we we dominated that game by any means, but it definitely was a massive improvement compared to what we saw against Wolves. Yeah. My concern, well, maybe it's too simplistic. In fact, it is too simplistic, and I know it is, but as a fan, I'm willing to go down that route in that we're just falling into an old trap. And you mentioned that Garnacho's not quite doing it. And the, the question at the start of the season was, here's a player, I think I used the phrase on the cusp of stardom last week and I've used that one again, but is he ready to start games for United yet and make a difference or is he a difference maker off the bench still? It's looking like the latter. That being said, the whole team is underperforming so it's always a little hard to judge in those circumstances. But the the, the simplistic, easy fix I have is that we're falling into that old trap of playing our best players away from their best areas to accommodate other weaknesses in the side. Rashford isn't a centre forward. He doesn't believe in himself up there and I don't believe in him up there either. He excelled so much in that left wing position last year and when you're trying to settle into a new system and there's going to be some learning experiences in those first few games, you might be reliant on your best players to drag you through it. So you don't move them out of their best position. You look at the rest of the league, you wouldn't move Saka, Salah or Haaland out of their best positions. You play them where they're best. And United have done this for too long. And I know Rashford played at centre-forward sometimes last season, but that was when the team was more settled, I think, that the team isn't so settled now. So that that feels like an easy fix for Ten Hag to make very quickly. I mean, I guess the, the idea behind playing Rashford there is that Rashford at centre-forward is still a serviceable, you know, pretty decent option. I think he's been worse at centre-forward in these first couple of games than he has been in the past. And that Garnacho or Sancho, yeah. but obviously Garnacho has been the one getting the starts on the left, is not a huge drop-off from Rashford. And so you're sort of keeping the level of the team more generally higher by playing it that way round. It obviously hasn't worked like that. And I think these couple of games have really thrown into question the ability of Rashford to play as a centre-forward, even just for a couple of games in sort of an emergency situation, because it has been really, really poor. And he's looked relatively yeah. disinterested. His movement hasn't been to the level that we've become accustomed to with Rashford. That's always been one of the strengths of his game. And he's just looked very kind of shorn of ideas up there. And, you know, as and then add in a, a major missed opportunity as well. Yeah. There was Bruno Fernandes was a, a better opportunity than Rashford, but only slightly. It was a more glaring miss, but Rashford was also one he should have scored. Yeah. Or at the very least tested the goalkeeper to to a very good save. Yeah. And you know, it is kind of getting to a point where at this point, Rashford is by far and away United's biggest source of goals. If we're gonna have any success this season, Marcus Rashford needs to be scoring 30 goals again in all competitions. Yeah. And so if he's going to be your main source of goals, I think you have to play him in his favoured position. Let him be that player and figure everyone else yeah. out around him. Yeah. What do you think changed? So I, I asked you last week, I think I said I was three out of 10 worried. I think, did you say four or five? I can't remember which, but how? I said five. Five. Would you, would you change your mind after this game? If, you, if we'd have recorded this 10 minutes after the final whistle, I would have said probably about eight. Oh, it's a fickle More game. realistically... 
it's probably about a six. Interesting. I think, but it has gone I, up. I think, I, yeah, I think it has to have gone up after that second half. It, like the, the fact in a vacuum that we've had two bad performances to start the year isn't that concerning in general. And this is a lazy, very lazy comparison. But in 2007, 2008, when we ended up winning the Champions League and, and the league double, we started that season with two draws and a defeat. Like it can happen that you have great seasons off the back of poor starts and you start slowly. So that in itself isn't the issue. The issue for me is that these are issues that we've seen pretty much all of last season and issues that I don't think the new signings are going to address. And I was hoping to see United come out and maybe not even necessarily immediately hit the ground running and be a brilliant team and be like smashing teams four or five nil. But I did expect to see a little bit of more of a change in how we play. And that I think is what I haven't seen. And the second half at Spurs, the first half made me much more confident, but the second half did concern me because that felt like watching any away game from the second half of last season, really. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. And it, it came with the, the same kind of result. I think it doesn't help that when, again, it's, it's not that, it's not down to effort that United lost that game in the same way. And we'll talk about a, couple of refereeing decisions in a second that it's not down to refereeing why we lost that game but I think a lot of the time last season we were saying United are being successful here but we're still quite reliant these matches are still decided on very fine margins and this was the same in that a couple of things going United's way and we might have won it but the concern is that when things as you were saying earlier when things stop going our way at the moment this team hasn't shown the mental resilience to to come back from that. And there was some interesting stats on, on United's running statistics. And if we go back to last season, that was the, the big headline news after we were twonked at Brentford was Ten Hag running with the team the next day. The second game of this season, it, it wasn't quite such a stark contrast of, I think it was 14 kilometres between United and Brentford that day. It wasn't quite so big. I think it was more like five for this game. Still a worry. Um, given that Tottenham had more of the ball. So definitely still more a worry, but not quite as much. But if you break it down a bit more, and these stats came from United Arena on Twitter, um, in the first half, Tottenham made 93 sprints. United made 70. That kind of gap is uh, fine. Oh, well, it, that, that might come down to game state and what's been going on in the game. But in the second half, Tottenham made 98 sprints and United made only 57. So Spurs almost double the number of sprints. And that kind of puts into statistics or, or proves what we were seeing is that United's, I, I don't know whether it's effort level, whatever you want to call it, but United drop off a bit when they think things aren't going our way. And that's not always been the case with this team. We saw some fantastic combat victories last season, but right now it, that is what's happening. I think the big thing for me is that we, we don't have any player in this team that has the right profile to be able to dictate the tempo of a game. And that is the case both when we're on the front foot and when we're a little bit on the back foot. There are various points in any game where you want you want to speed things up. If you're on top, you want to maintain that dominance that you have. You don't want to let a team settle. You don't want to let them breathe for a second. There are also times in the game where you want to slow things down, when maybe you're under a little bit of pressure or you're protecting a lead and you want to just slow things down. It doesn't mean time wasting. It doesn't mean, you know, take two minutes to put the ball back in play, but you just want to slow the pace of the game down. And that to me is the key 
part of this puzzle that United don't have figured out yet. Because that's exactly what you're talking about, Harry, in the second half, when things start getting away from us a little bit, we have no ability to rein it back in and slow that game down and just get ourselves a little bit of breathing space. And so then it starts to kind of ripple throughout the team. You know, one player starts feeling a little bit leggy and like they have, you know, they're being swarmed all over all the time. And so then that, that kind of affects someone else because they feel like they have to kind of do an extra job. I've been in teams that feel like that. And I'm not sure anyone who's played football at any kind of level has felt moments in games where I'm an absolute sinner for that on a five-a-side pitch. Right. If my team are getting beaten badly, my whole attitude changes where the, the very extreme of it will be I'll start just tripping people up. Yeah. But, and the kind of lesser version of it is you just start running around yeah. like a headless chicken, like uh, Ander Herrera yeah. in certain games, and it, <laughs> to, to go back to one of the podcasts, many um, repeated It's one of those things where I think there is both the element of it that I've just mentioned from that sort of a more technical or tactical part of the equation where... I don't think United are able to respond properly. And then I also think from a more kind of mental approach, I think there is, this team in general, I think is pretty resilient, but I think the one part of it where it can go wrong is when things start going against us, I think we have a a, a tendency at times to kind of throw our hands up in the air and say, well, you know, this is going badly. This is unfair, whatever. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because this team can be fantastically resilient. And the number of combat victories under both Ten Hag and Oregon Solskjaer before is is a testament to that. And yet on some occasions, we lose composure as we did on Saturday. And that was, even though there was that incredible kind of away comeback record on the Solskjaer, there were other times where uh, people would just start dribbling into traffic or would start playing, just the defence would just start playing long balls again and again it seems to all fall apart and and sometimes the pressing would fall apart as well and you'd get certain players just charging forward and leaving holes in the team and then you'd be exposed and concede. So it's I, what we don't know is why on some occasions this team can be so resilient and on, and on others they can't. Perhaps it's to do with the opposition more than us in that some teams take full advantage and don't let us to regain our composure. I don't know. Um, you might have to, to study that more, but it, Ten Hag needs to find a fix for it. And that might come from himself or it, it might come from giving more leadership to certain players on the pitch. And if, if you think of composure in this United team, which players do you think of? Ericsson, Varane, who else? I guess Mason Mount. So it, it might be that, well, we and Ten Hag expect some of them to step up, but someone in that team needs to, and it should be Bruno Fernandes as captain, but we know the type of captain and player he is, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but in this scenario can be a negative. It means someone else in, in the team has to step up and, and regain the side's composure. But Ten Hag also has to be able to do that from the touchline, whether it's with substitutions or, or a tactical change or word. Yeah, and that is somewhere that I think a manager has to come into it because if you see that your your team is kind of slipping away in a game like that, which again is not a new phenomenon really for, for this United team. Like I said, it's been a feature of a lot of away games last year. You have to be able to step in. Even if you don't have a player of the right exact profile that you want in that situation, you have to be able to step in and make some kind of change. Whether it, Whether it's even going a little bit more defensive to ride out the storm whether it's you know changing the formation to address whatever issue you see, whatever the the remedy is, Ten Hag I think has to become better at being more proactive in those situations. If at times when we're losing, I feel like Ten Hag subs can get a little bit predictable in the sense that it's just well we're losing. Let's bring on some attacking players. 
which I understand, but in some ways that isn't always what's necessary because if, you know, he brought on, uh, he brought on Sancho, for example, for, for Garnacho against Spurs on Saturday. And it's a, well, if Garnacho wasn't getting the ball in any kind of good situations, what makes you think Sancho is going to get the ball in any better situation? You know, and I, I get that he, did, he also brought on Dallow and Ericsson yeah. at the same time yeah. and shifted Bruno Fernandes out wide. So there, there was some attempt to, to change things, but I think there has to be more coming from the manager. And this is probably work that needs to be done, not just by him making substitutions in the game, but addressed better with the team between games as well to avoid these situations getting into in the first place. Well, that's, that's what I'm now thinking is the, is we've accepted that this is a new system and as fans, we might accept that it might take a few games or many months to, to embed into the, the psyche, but maybe we underappreciate the fact that when it's a game of such fine margins as all sporting endeavors are, and it, it might not be a question of actively making less effort or actively choosing not to follow the manager's plan and instructions but ultimately in, in such an intense and um, elite environment it it can often come down to and this is a basic understanding of sports psychology and I'm sure psychologists could tell me better but it comes down to kind of your trust in not necessarily a trust in the manager but your experience of what you're what you've been told to do being good so this team currently is playing in a slightly new system and a new formation with new instructions to do with their off the ball work and their on the ball work. And in the moments where their heads go in a bit and you can say, oh, well, they, their heads shouldn't go, but it's sport. They do sometimes. It, in those moments, it seems like their, their instinct is to revert to type, which is something you see in sport all the time as well, as well as just in football. And so perhaps it's one of those things where as the team enjoys more success, well, we, we haven't had any yet this season, but uh, as the team enjoys some success with this system, hopefully starting on Saturday against Forest, then they'll start to revert to type less. I don't know. That's a hope. <laughs> yeah. And th this for me is why I said my concern level did go up slightly after the Spurs game, just because it is something that has been repeated for a while. And I think, you know, the hope is that I still absolutely trust Ten Hag. I think he's a very, very good manager. I think there are very few managers in the world that would have been able to get this United team to third in the league last season. So there's no sort of worry for me about Ten Hag's future in any way. But the concern for me just is, you know, one season where we saw this repeated a lot, but the main issues that we saw away from home, away from home were in the second half of the season. There's a lot of mitigating circumstances, especially given United's massive fixture pile up. There were reasons you could say, okay, it should be different next year. The first big test that we've had away from home, the fact that we've kind of repeated a lot of those errors is why I am just more concerned than I probably would be with these two results in isolation. Yeah. But look, it... It is only the first away game of the season. There is plenty of time for Ten Hag and this set of players to remedy this issue and to figure it out why it's happening and how to stop it when it does happen. Yep. Yep. Let's move on. First guess the player clue, please. You're setting the clue this week. And I'm guessing, as a reminder, there'll be three clues each week. And the quicker I guess it in this instance, the, the more points I get. Okay. So the first clue is... I played for 14 clubs in three wow. of the four nations of the UK, plus two further European countries. Wow. Well, I'm definitely not going to get that now. So I'm going to let that mull <laughs> over. 14 clubs, including three of the four UK nations. And yeah. 
two further European and two countries. two further European countries. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, positive, Andrea Nana. Uh, he's brilliant. <laughs> Second time I've watched him and in, in person. Yeah, I really like him. Again, he's he's been sent out to do another post-match interview. And again, he speaks with, uh, I just, I love his attitude. He said, football's about scoring goals and we had some big chances and we didn't score, but we have to keep calm and keep working. He was absolutely right. We should have scored. Uh, at least, well, we should have scored from two chances. And then he said, we have to recognise our mistakes. We need to accept responsibility. And I start myself. Maybe I didn't communicate well enough. Every goal I concede, I always look at myself. I always start myself. Yeah, I just, I really like him. And um, as a as a shot stopper and as a distributor and as a communicator, yeah, all good so far. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Again, against Spurs, couldn't do anything for either of the goals. Made a couple of really smart saves. Apart from that, just is a, is a very calming presence. Even my my fiance is a Spurs fan and so it was a bad day for me in, in general on Saturday. But even she, I mean, she doesn't watch United, you know, very much. But even she commented after like 20 minutes of this game, like this keeper is so much, like brings me so much more calmness than De Gea used to. And I feel like the fact that yeah. someone who, you know, barely watches United could pick up on that so quickly kind of says it all about the difference that Onana has made. Yeah, well, when I was taught, when I was naming players who might offer some composure, I didn't, naturally think early, like this was just a few minutes ago I didn't naturally think of a goalkeeper because obviously you can offer that but when you're kind of looking for in the sense of the park to calm people down and slow things down you might not think of the keeper but there were several occasions in that second half um, well and in the first half where Nana was deliberately holding onto the ball to calm everything down and, and getting his team set up again and I think last week against Wolves I spoke about how he's trying to increase the tempo a lot and his teammates weren't ready but he correctly adjusted to the game state or the yeah the state of the game this um uh, last saturday against spurs and he was offering that composure his teammates again weren't really responding to it so they need to trust in him more he's got a very good reading of the game and that leadership from the back is is ever so needed anything else on him or should we talk uh, a controversial refereeing decision to wrap up i don't think don't think there's anything more just He's brilliant and I love watching him already. Yep. Uh, refereeing is not why we lost the game, but I thought it was a blatant mistake. <laughs> did did you? I'm talking about the handball here. I tweeted this at the time and my opinion hasn't changed. I don't want that to be handball, but I think it should have been given. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't, there's not that much more to it. So <laughs> I agree. It I, do, I do have one more thing, but to to expand on, on that point, it just... I don't think that should be handball in a sort of general sense of it because to me, handball should be an intentional act. And that clearly wasn't, you know, I mean, Romero's hand and arm was obviously away from his body. I don't think it was an intentional thing. It's just your arms move around in somewhat strange ways yeah. when you're running at, you know, full speed. It's one of those where I, I in general would be okay with that not being a penalty given the way the handball rule has been applied basically ever since VAR was introduced that absolutely should be a penalty. And the, the ridiculousness of it, I just want to read from Sky Sports do their ref watch segment every week. So Dermot Gallagher, former Premier League referee, I think he used to be head of referees for the PGMOL at one point as well, analyzes all of the decisions from that week. So he says that 100% it, it shouldn't have been a penalty, this Romero one. He says, 
Um, he, he basically says, the more you drill down into this is a quote, the more you drill down into it, the more it causes problems. One of the problems is that, that the arm is out. Is it in an unexpected position? Is it above the shoulder? Has the ball come too fast? You can all ask all those questions and that was the decision and it was the right one that it wasn't given. He then, two sections later, talking about Kira Walsh for, the, for England in the <laughs> Women's World Cup final at the weekend, says it was absolutely the correct decision that that penalty was given, saying they, op- and quote, they operate a very strict policy if it hits a hand anywhere outside the body. So how, how can it be one and not yeah. the other? That's the part of it that doesn't make sense to yeah. me. I would be okay if the Romero run wasn't a penalty, if that was the general standard we have for handball, but it, it hasn't been what the standard is for the last two or three years. Yeah, and I think the PGML set a precedent by offering that official apology to Wolves last Monday night and got caught up in the in a media-generated hysteria. Uh, I thought Bruno Fernandes... I think Gary O'Neill really threw a spanner in the works for PGL yeah. last week, and he did the right thing. I don't think they ever intended to that public, to be yeah. a public apology. I think that was Jonathan Moss, because Gary O'Neill said they spent the day together. I think that was Jonathan Moss going to someone that he'd spent a whole day with and sort of being like, look, yeah. mate, I'm sorry, that was a bad yeah, decision. Yeah, that's a fair point. But I, I th- Fernandes obviously deserves some criticism for massive opportunity missed and two relatively poor performances from him. But... I think as captain, he's absolutely right to to come out swinging as he did post-match and say, I'm waiting for an apology this time. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's completely fair enough. I don't think there's anything else. So we'll go on to guess the player clue two, I think. Okay. So the second clue is, I played for the UK's first football club that's dedicated to helping people with mental health based in Northern Ireland. Wow. So, so I played for the UK's first football club that's dedicated to helping people with mental health based in Northern Ireland. And that was within the last three or four years that that happened. Okay. Well, that gives a bit of a time frame to his career, at least. I feel like that that in particular is a very specific piece of knowledge that you either have or you don't. And I don't think I do, unless it starts to ring a bell in my head very shortly. Um, but yeah, I'll think it over. The anyway, location li- is, a, is a big part of the clue. I'll give well, you Well, Northern Ireland. So I know he played in England, yeah. Northern Ireland, and one of Scotland and Wales. So... Interesting. Plus two other European countries. Anyway, I'll mull it over our Patreon Q&A, where we're going to talk about the best five-a-side, well, uh, hypothetical five-a-side teams in the Premier League and a bit more about the game. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, Jack, we're coming out in a very good mood after that patient Q&A because there was a nice couple of nice conversations. Uh, but it has been a difficult week. As United fans, we've got our match review out of the way, so we can now speak about the off-pitch stuff. 
how have you found it? Mason Greenwood won't play for United again, but it was a a difficult story. A very difficult story. And one, I think that leaves you feeling pretty disenchanted with the club, to be honest. I remember us talking a couple of years ago about, I can't actually remember what this was in, it might have been after Rashford scored his 100th goal, actually, where we talked about, you know, what kind of we feel makes United different to a lot of other really big clubs. And I think this whole episode with Greenwood has kind of shattered any illusion of that. You know, even the statements today that were put out, it's just been so condescending to the fan base, made it so abundantly clear that this is only being done basically because they think they can't get away with it. You know, everything that was being said was effectively just, we've decided he's innocent, but you lot got a bit angry and we want to save face. So we're not actually going to bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the stories from The Athletic and the report from Adam Crafton was, was uh, yeah. well, brilliant journalism, but the, the contents was painful. And I think, yeah, it's, it's been a disheartening week and there's a lot of work to do. The, the, the result in the end is the right one, but the manner of it is, is very, very disappointing. And there's a lot of work to do to repair broken relationships here. And I think it's just it's how many times have in the past few years we faced kind of a near existential crisis as football fans, not just United, but I think United in, in particular. And it's, it's all, every time it happens, it's this realisation or kind of questioning of how can this thing which provides us so much joy, but also escapism and also a, a little inexplicably, but identity as well. You, you couldn't take United out of my identity and my identity would not be as it is without the influence of Manchester United. How can it suddenly become so clear that that thing which has shaped our identity no longer represents us. And I think that's why it's so painful when things and stories like the European Super League happen and uh, the the mishandling of this case. And people will say, um, perhaps people not listening to this because they might have stopped supporting football quite as much, but or stopped supporting United or might have gone to FC United. There will be those who kind of managed to remove the blinkers long ago and they will argue that football longs have football clubs have not represented us for a very, very long time. And they, they may well be right. You can tell I'm still doing it where I'm kind of refusing to accept that that is the case, but it is the case. United doesn't really represent its community anymore and it hasn't for a long time. And I think that's why it's, it's, um, it's so disheartening. Yeah. How, how do United move on? I mean, the club will move on as if nothing's happened, I'm sure, because I think that's what they wanted the, the, the whole time in this. I mean, I mean, really, I think the only... Well, assuming that Greenwood leaves the club relatively quickly, however that comes, whether it's a loan, a permanent move to somewhere else, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But assuming that gets sorted out without any major hiccups, I really think that just the lasting legacy here is just the continued erosion of any trust that existed before between the club and the fans. I mean, I tweeted this a week or so ago when it it looked like Greenwood was going to be kept on and brought back at Man United that, you know, the summer was really turning pretty bleak. Greenwood's situation has ended up turning out slightly better than we imagined at that point because he isn't going to be brought back into the team, although the way it's been handled certainly hasn't inspired any confidence. But that, coupled with the complete and utter radio silence about anything to do with the takeover for about four or five months now, the and we're all just assuming that that isn't going to happen anymore without any kind of word from the club still Old Trafford being in desperate need of repair that hasn't happened and there are no really solid plans to do it anytime soon. You know, it's it's just every 
every major thing that happens at this club seems to just make that trust disappear more and more. And it's and more and more frequently it's being left up to fans to be sort of the moral compass for an organization that for all intents and purposes only listens when we can make up make enough noise and cause enough of a PR headache for them to listen. And that to me is going to be the lasting legacy of this situation. I think in a couple of months from now, it's not going to affect the day-to-day of the club, but I don't think fans will forget this. Not that this is a singular moment. There's been plenty of times in the fact the club has shown their sort of disquiet for anything the fans think, but I think this will take a, a lot of time for fans to get over and we probably won't ever get over how it's been handled. Yeah. I will turn to Barney Chilton, the editor of Red News, who is always a... Uh, a good barometer of level-headed United fans. He said, before the final decision was announced, but he said, the thing is with my relationship with Manchester United is I never expect them to do the right thing. After 18 long years owned by them, as in the Glazers and the PLC era, driven for customers, my heart always expects the worst. United, for me now, is its fans, its communities, its families. Richard Arnold should listen to them. And I thought, yeah. And when I was standing in the kind of envy-inducing surroundings of the Spurs stadium. There was still, it's, it's still a silly thing, isn't it? Because you still find a bit of like joy in there, even in a week which had been really disappointing and, and painful for supporters because as that concourse began to be filled up and uh, you have a chat with a kind of stranger about his 50-year-old scarf and you say, oh, where'd you get that from? And he tells you a few stories about following United in the past and then you see a few mates and, and whatever and there's a long rendition of who are Cantona. You, you find that joy in it again. But I, th- I think, yeah, I think Barney's right. The, the joy of United is in its history and, and the fans. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say on this? And I, I guess the one thing that I would add is, and you mentioned Adam Crafton before, I think the one thing that I have take away from this is just the power and the massive need that there remains for high quality investigative journalism. Because I, I really don't think that this outcome would have happened if it wasn't for the story that Adam put out last week and then the subsequent stories about you know the various journalists, pundits being classed as hostile or friendly and then domestic abuse charities and organisations being listed as hostile. I, I really don't think this outcome would have happened this way without those stories. So massive credit to Adam and just, I think, a reminder to us all of why journalism is so important to hold big organisations to account. Yeah, absolutely. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
let's, we've got two things left to do, an academy roundup and then preview Nottingham Forest. So uh, the under-21s were beaten 2-1 by Leeds United at Old Trafford last Friday night. It's two defeats to open the season, but some some good bits. However, unlike at Palace, United started very slowly in this game and Leeds did the opposite. A carved us open eight minutes in. Sean McGurk finished off. He's, he's quite a good talent. Lovely team constructed move. And Eli Harrison was beaten one-on-one by Sean McGurk, but he then saved a penalty three minutes later. Connor Douglas scored Leeds' second goal after half time, making Charlie McNeil's late deflected effort futile. Uh, United's Sonny Al Joffrey was sent off a second bookable offence late on as well, and United couldn't find an equaliser. Travis Binion after said, uh, we created enough chances to win three or four games and we should have finished them and we didn't. Uh, he said, we played well on the ball and we pressed well, but uh, we can't dominate games and not win them. We need to learn from that, which is a, a fair summary. The under-18s uh, were not in league action this week. Adam Lawrence's side opened their campaign with a 4-0 win at Middlesbrough, but uh, went to the Netherlands this weekend to play in the Otten Cup. They played four games, finished sixth in the tournament, which had some very interesting rule changes. The match clock was stopped whenever the ball was out of play. There were 25-minute halves. Throw-ins were replaced with kick-ins or dribble-ins, and players could dribble from free kicks too. And yellow cards resulted in a basically a five-minute sin bin as well. Uh, PSV Eindhoven won the tournament. I forgot there's one other thing we have to do. That's all from, from the academy this week. Um, not too much to say. Uh, is guess the player clue three. And I've been trying to, I've kind of, there's been so much to talk about. I've kind of forgotten to think about it. So we'll see if I get it here. Uh, but give us clue three. Then we'll talk about the Forest game while I mull it over. And then I'll give you my guess and you can reveal the answer. Okay. So as a reminder, clue one was I've played for 14 clubs in three of the four nations of the UK, plus two further European countries. Second clue was I played for the UK's first football club dedicated to helping people with mental health that's based in Northern Ireland. And I gave you the additional little hint that the location Northern Ireland there is important. So the final clue is during my time at Manchester United, I am probably most famous for a goal that wasn't uh, wasn't awarded. Oh, interesting. It was a goal against Man United that wasn't awarded. Uh, oh. Okay, I've got an answer. Let's hear it. But I'll, I'll let I'll let people okay. mull it over. <laughs> no, no I'll, we'll talk about the Forest game. Then I'll give it to you. But I, I, yeah, I think it's right. Uh, Forest. Let's hope for something a bit more inspiring this week. Uh, they had poor away form last season. Forest. They did well at home, but very poor away. This season did well at Arsenal but without any rewards. They then had a good home win against Sheffield United, although they required a late goal in that one. Uh, they've obviously gone through a lot of players last season in an interesting strategy where they just threw money at everything because all of their loan players left. But they have they have got quite a good team together now. I want to did... Uh, it looks really good up front for them. I think he'll really challenge Martinez with Ran, especially Martinez, um, if his poor start to season continues. And then you've got really dangerous players on the counter-attack in Brennan Johnson, Morgan Gibbs-White and our, our very own Anthony Alanga. So we need to be a lot better set up. And I remember last season, Ten Hag speaking a lot about rust defence. Um, it was kind of an education for us all in kind of what that means in terms of how the team is set up when you have the ball in case you lose it basically. Um, so kind of who you leave behind ready to defend the the rest of the defence. Uh, that has been a real element of weakness for us so far. And I think if it is again at Old Trafford, then Forrest will cause us problems. So I think that's a key area for improvement among many others uh, on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. And I think Forrest probably will be a team that more than most will be happy to kind of sit back against us. I don't imagine that they will come out in the same way as Wolves did, for example, and just and you know, try and be quite aggressive in defence, put us under pressure, 
high up the pitch. I think they will sit back and try and hit us on the counter-attack. And I think, like you mentioned with some of the players there, I think they're very well equipped to do that. Awani, I think, has turned into a very good striker, especially over the last six or seven months or so. Remember back to the League Cup semi-final first leg at the City ground, which we ended up winning 3-0. It ended up being quite comfortable, but the first 35 minutes or so in that game were anything but. Rashford scored that brilliant solo goal but then Forrest, if you remember, had a goal ruled out, which I think Awani may have scored. Uh, yeah. And it was ruled out for a really, really marginal offside. There was a period of sort of 20, 25 minutes in that first half where Forrest were, you know, really on top. And then I think Faircourt scored right on the stroke of half time to really kind of take the wind out of their sails. But I think Forrest have enough to cause us problems. And it's going to be a different test for United, I think, in that it's probably going to be a much more physical game than what we've had against Tottenham and Wolves. I think it's also going to be on us to have to break down a defence that's probably going to sit quite deep and that isn't something that historically we've been all that good at. Yeah, I think that's all that needs to be said other than I hope United win. Well, w- would you make any changes to the, the starting lineup? I would. Uh, we spoke quite a lot about this in the Patreon Q&A, so if you want a detailed discussion about that, then you can sign up to be a patron. But I, I would move Rashford to the left and play someone else up front. We don't know about Hoyland's fitness. I would expect he won't be, he certainly won't be ready to start this game but we'll see Martial should be fit so I think Tenag may well go for him yeah if Martial's fit he feels like the obvious one to come in like, he doesn't deserve it but uh, yeah. needs must I mean this is a bit of a test I, I can't remember who it was I think one of our patrons asked us in pre-season is Sancho yeah, playing at Reed Force 9 just that, a, yeah. a pre-season thing yeah Reed. yeah was was it just a pre-season thing or, or is it a genuine option? I mean, we both kind of said it was just a pre-season thing because of the players that we had available. I do wonder, I, I think if there was ever, if there was ever a chance that Sancho was going to play false nine, this feels like when it would happen. Because yeah. I think there is a general recognition that Rashford needs to be on the left. Martial's fitness is always up in the air. Also, it's such he, an easy one because if it's not working, you always can then put Rashford up front and Sancho back. on the yeah. left. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'd I'd be up for seeing that just for a bit of excitement at Saturday three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go with that one. Uh, I don't think there'll be many other changes. Yeah, I would expect Anthony will start again. I know a lot of people have been saying he shouldn't, but purely, who else would you start? Palestri, not quite ready. Uh, otherwise, it's Garnacho or Sancho on the right. And as if Sancho starts up front, he can't start on the right. So. Um, yeah, I expect Anthony will start. I actually think this type of game will suit Anthony more. He He's one of these strange wingers when he seems to operate worse when he's in a lo- loads of space. Yeah. Because you just want him to drive into the space and attack that area that he has and take on his full web, but he doesn't. And actually, I think one of his biggest strengths is his ability to pick really, really good incisive passes through a crowd of bodies. He is generally quite good in, in tight spaces. So I actually think this will kind of work similar to the assist that he gave to Rashford against Lon in preseason. Yeah. That is the kind of thing that he's really good at, which is bizarre considering his attributes. Generally, you would expect that he would be, you know, yeah. in his element when he has 50 yards of space to run into, but he's just in many ways a sort of contradictory player. And I think this is one of the ways that that manifests itself. Yeah, that's true. I think United will win and I'm going to give you my guess the player clue. Just remind us of the final clue. I think we've heard the first two enough. So the final clue was, I am at Manchester United, I am perhaps most famous for a goal that United conceded that wasn't given. And I've just been looking at his um, Wikipedia page 
it's such an incredible career. So, so, so strange. <laughs> Caretaker manager of Barnet in 2011. He won the Greek Super League and the Greek Cup twice. He won the 2004 FA Cup. He won a Premier League. And uh, is this all matching up? Yeah, it does yeah, match up. Uh, yeah. Uh, Roy Carroll is the answer. It is absolutely Roy Carroll. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was the third clue that, the, the mixture of Northern Ireland and, and the third clue that got me on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. Tough one, that. Um, and that's interesting about the Mindwell, FC Mindwell. I'd, I'd missed that. Yeah. I, I I didn't know about it, honestly, until I took, I was I was trying to figure out the right order to give them in because I thought the Mindwell clue was a good one, but I knew you probably wouldn't get it from that. So I was just trying to figure out the, yeah. the order to put them in because I thought once I said about the goal not being given, it'd probably give it away. But I mean, seriously, what a, what a career. <laughs> yeah, crazy. I once read an amazing book about a goalkeeper. Oh, what was it called? It's basically about a goalkeeper played on all seven continents. <laughs> I think his name was, oh, I'll tell you what, I'll remember it for next time. I'll find the book and, and dig out the title. It's, it's especially yeah, I odd, I feel like, for Roy Carroll to have had a career like this because goalkeepers generally tend to be one, like they don't move all that often. They tend to kind of stick around just because most teams only need one or two of them. And once you get one, you even backup goalkeepers tend to stay for a relatively long time at most clubs. The goalkeeper is looks fun and still. I can't remember the title of the book, but he played on all seven continents. Um, wow. And, and the book was very good, including Wimbledon and Nottingham Forest, Orlando Pirates, Geylang United, Bradford Park Avenue, um, Vancouver Whitecaps. Crazy. Anyway. Let's wrap up on that very, very niche story. Uh, thank you very much for listening, everyone, to this slightly extended episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. If you want to support the show, you can become a patron or leave us a review or just share it on Twitter and you know where to find us on there. You've heard it enough times already. But have a great week and let's hope for an improved United performance on Saturday and a victory at Old Trafford. Until then, goodbye. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.